0: Good morning, my name is Nick Swan, I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And this morning we are completing, or bringing to completion, our Matthew series, Eight Days That Changed the World. And we're actually bringing to conclusion the series on Matthew, which we've split up over a number of years, which I believe began in 2019. So we finally made it to the end of the book of Matthew. Uh, The title of this morning's message is Christ's Mission for His Church, Christ's Mission for His Church. Before we begin, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people. I pray that you would meet each and every one of us in the very specific circumstances of our lives. Each story different gathered this morning to worship you. I pray that the good news of Christ's mission that he has given us, that it would compel us this morning. That we would realize that we have been saved And we have been sent. Father, may we be amazed that you have loved us and that you allow us to partner with you in this great mission. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Some of the most fundamental questions that we ask are questions that pertain to our identity and our purpose in this life. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the point of all this? When I come to the end of my life, How will I know that I have given myself to something of meaning and purpose? How will I know that if I give myself to something now at the end of my life, I won't live in regret that I missed God's meaning and purpose for my life? In the absence of clear answers to these questions, we often try various things and we fill our lives with various attempts at giving ourselves meaning and purpose. Work, pleasure, relationships grades, beauty, power. And all of these things, when they inevitably fail, we then just move on to the next, always in the hope that if we give ourselves to these things, that they will finally give us the meaning and the purpose and the direction and the mission for our lives that we're made for and that we long for. Jesus, in our passage this morning, brings clarity to these fundamental questions. And he wants us to see that What's going to give us meaning and purpose can never be found in this world... ...but is only found through Him. In this passage, Jesus teaches us that we exist to love God... ...to love one another... ...and to live for Jesus' mission to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We exist. Our purpose, our reason for existing is to love God, love others... ...and to live for Jesus' mission to make and mature disciples of Him... And it's only when we give our lives to this purpose and this mission that we will finally find the satisfaction that we are longing for. And it's only when we give ourselves to these things that we will come to the end of our lives and recognize we have given ourselves to something of eternal value. My message this morning has three points. Go, grow, and authority and presence. Go, grow, and authority and presence. First point is go. So we open in verse 16 with the disciples waiting in Galilee on the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And this is in obedience to what Jesus had told them in verse 10 where he said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now what's not immediately apparent from this passage is just how far Galilee is from Jerusalem. It's about a hundred miles, which they would have had to travel by foot. So it's quite a trek that they had made. So the question is, why why Galilee? Why doesn't Jesus just appear to them in Jerusalem? That's the capital city. Surely they're going to go out from there. So why does he make them walk a hundred miles in order to meet him on a mountain in order to receive this great commission? I think there are a couple reasons. First... Galilee is where Jesus began his earthly ministry, and it makes sense that he would bring it to completion where he began it. He has come full circle here in Galilee. And second, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, it says in Matthew 4 that he came to Galilee of the Gentiles. And what we see here are hints that we're going to see in, in their fullness in verse 19, that this mission which God has given them, this commission which he has given to the church, it's not just for Israel, it's for the nations. And Genesis clear makes this, make, Genesis 12 makes clear that this has always been God's intended purpose, to reach the nations. Genesis, tw- Genesis 12 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, "'Grow from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him whom you dis- who dishonors you I will curse.'" And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what we see from this passage is that the nations have always been in view. And so it's fitting that Jesus would inaugurate the mission of the church in Galilee of the Gentiles. Because it's from Galilee that the gospel is going to go forth to all the nations. Now we're going we're gonna to move on because we're going to come back to this theme in verse 19. So let's move on and look at verse 17. And we'll come back in just a moment to talk a bit more about the nations. So in verse 17, there are two responses to Jesus when he appears. Some worship him, but others doubted. The response of some to Jesus' resurrection is they recognize right away who he was. Jesus is the son of God and he has risen from the dead. He said that he was going to do it. He's done it. They fall down on his feet and worship him. Again, here on this mountain in Galilee, they worship him. But while some worshiped, others doubted. And these doubts, they shouldn't surprise us. Consider what's just happened. Jesus, whom they understand, understood to be the Messiah, the one whom they believed would restore the kingdom of God and defeat all of their enemies, Rome included, Jesus, the one who one week before had been riding on a donkey as a king to cries of Hosanna, had just been crucified and brutally murdered in a shameful death on the cross. Now crushed by this, they are left in the wake of this, in the horror of the crucifixion. All they had hoped for had seemingly been swept away. And for three days they are left wondering, what has just happened? We thought Jesus was the Son of God and it appears that he is dead. And then suddenly they receive news that Jesus has risen from the dead and he is now appearing before them. The person that they thought was crucified, dead, buried in the ground is now standing before them, risen from the dead. Now, we know this story so well, but enter into the story. It's understandable that they might have doubts, that it might take a little bit for this news to sink in, for them to believe that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead and that they should believe in him and worship him. Now, although we hope that we would have been among all of those that right away, obviously, this is Jesus, the son of God, risen from the dead. Let me fall at your feet and worship him. We wish and hope that we might have been among those folks But I think there's more than a few of us, and I think myself included, I probably would have had some doubts. Is this really happening? Is this true? Is it possible that someone can rise from the dead? Is this really the Son of God, and should I bow down now and worship him? Some worshipped, but some doubted. And it took time for them to embrace and understand who Jesus was. Jesus then goes on in verses 18 to 20 to give what is commonly called the Great Commission. Now, we're going to circle back to verse 18 at the end, but for now, let's look at verse 19. Jesus commands them in verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, this commission isn't odd to our ears. If I were to ask the majority of you, what's the Great Commission? You would be able to say, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not odd to us as 21st century Christians at all. But for the Jews of Jesus' day, this commission would have been quite shocking. The Jews of Jesus' day had a very clear expectation of what the Messiah would do when he came. He would come, he would sit on David's throne, he would defeat all of God's enemies... ...and he would restore Israel as the preeminent nation in the world as God's chosen people. So first off, they thought the Messiah was going to do this, and then the Messiah dies. Then the Messiah rises from the dead, and so they think, okay, now he's risen from the dead... ...so he's going to do what we thought he was going to do before. He's going to sit on the throne, he's going to restore Israel, he's going to defeat Rome... ...and defeat all of God's enemies. Instead... What does Jesus do? He gives them a commission to go to the very nations that they thought Jesus had come to judge. He tells them to go and make disciples of all of these Gentile nations. Jesus makes explicit here what was only hinted at in that location of Galilee of the Gentiles in verse 16. And if you have any doubt about how paradigm shifting this would have been for them, just read the book of Acts... The beginning of the book of Acts, the first 15 chapters are Jews wrestling with this reality that God has actually called them to the nations. So what's their response when the Samaritans, the hated half-breeds, receive the gospel in Acts 8? They're incredulous. Could the Holy Spirit actually fall on Samaritans? Then in Acts 10, God appears three times to Peter just to convince him to go into the house ...of a Gentile, let alone that the Gentiles are then going to have the Spirit of God poured out upon them... ...clearly indicating that they're now included in the people of God. And then in Acts 15, they have to have this whole council. Okay, if the Gentiles are in, how are we supposed to live side by side? Because we do things differently. Jews and Gentiles don't mix, so they have a council just to figure out how they can include the Gentiles. It was a complete paradigm shift, this great commission that Jesus was giving... Now, although good Jews would have known Genesis 12, and they should have had some idea, not just from Genesis 12, but from many passages in the Old Testament, that Gentiles were going to be included, it is fair to say that when Christ came, the, the nature of the mission changed. The emphasis changed quite a bit. So throughout the Old Testament, if you want to think of it this way, the mission of God was centripetal. So they're come and see, they're drawing other nations to themselves. And then with the coming of Christ in this commission, it's now centrifugal, it's sent out. There's energy going forth. So the Old Testament is come and see the God of Israel who saves the nations. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, go, therefore, show and tell, take the gospel to them. It's no longer come and see, it's now go and tell. And from this moment forward in Christian history, the gospel does go forward. The nations over the last 2,000 years have come to know Christ. And many lives of men, women, and children have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this mission continues to this day. And it's the mission that we ourselves participate in. This mission is our mission. Now, in order for us to embrace this mission, to live it, we have to understand this concept that we are first objects of this mission ...before we become instruments of this mission. Here's what I mean by that. We are objects in that the mission comes to us. God is ascending God. He sent Jesus to us. The good news came to the people of this earth. And it's been passed down from generation to generation. And eventually someone came and they brought the gospel to us. You can probably imagine it right now. A faithful parent or a friend or a co-worker. Someone that came and brought the gospel to you. You were at first an object... ...of that mercy. The good news came, God's mercy came to you, you believed and you were saved. But we're not just objects of God's mercy. We're instruments that God then calls and uses to bring that same gospel message to the world around us. Just as we have received the gospel message... ...we are now called to be instruments that take that gospel message to the world around us. Because of what Jesus has done, we now have a new purpose, a new mission for our lives... As the gospel has come to us, he now calls us to bring the gospel to the world around us. Our purpose, our calling, and our mission is to go and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So how are we to respond to these opening verses? I think there are two responses. The first is to believe. To believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That he is truly the son of God. God incarnate, God in the flesh, who came to live for us, to die for us, and to rise for us. And just as he has called us to a saving faith in him, to believe in him, he now also calls us, number two, to worship him by going to bring this same gospel message to the world. First we believe, and then we worship by going. We worship Christ by proclaiming the message of the gospel that has saved us to the world around us. Now, it can be challenging to share our faith. There are a couple reasons. Sometimes we're afraid. What are others going to say when we share the gospel with them? Others of us wonder, will I be able to articulate it clearly when the time comes? There's a fear that when that moment comes and the spotlight's on us and someone says, what do you believe and how do I respond, that we're going to stumble. And so we, we hide. We're afraid of rejection and we're a little afraid of whether we'll be able to say it well enough that someone... ...can become a Christian that will fail in some way. For those who battle a fear of rejection, start small. It's not like you have to bust out a tract around the water cooler... ...the moment someone mentions something that remotely approximates spirituality. Boy, it's sunny outside today. Yes, speaking of the sun, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? (laughs) slightly awkward. We often try and force these things, but the reality is is we can take our time, build relationships with people, demonstrate that we love them and care for them, that we enter into their lives, and that we begin to share even faithfully who we are and what we believe, but without pressing. And we can trust that God will give us opportunities more and more as we live with others in our daily lives to share the good news of the gospel that has saved us. We have to keep in mind that we live in a post-Christian world where faith conversations, they need space ...to unfold. Many of the assumptions of people 50 plus... ...it's no longer the assumption of the world around us. Ask any 15-year-old the assumption of their friends... ...and you will realize the world has changed... ...in just a number of decades. And if this is true, then we need to take our time... ...and allow space and opportunities for the gospel to unfold. In a booklet I read just recently by Tim Keller... ...called How to Reach the West Again... He says this about reaching others with the gospel, in our, particularly in our cultural moment. He says this, I quote, Late modern people, which is all of us, are more open to considering Christianity... ...when reading or watching stories and narratives that witness to Christian insights. And, note this, during times of stress, difficulty, disappointment, and suffering. For it's in these moments of stress, difficulty, disappointment, and suffering that a late modern worldview fails to provide what is needed to face such experiences. Christians need to be prepared in these moments to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope they have. In other words, as we go with the gospel, our going with the gospel is often going to be a long game. Don't feel the pressure to rush through that process. Trust that God is at work... He's at work in you and he's at work in them. And God is going to provide opportunities for those that we come in contact for us to share the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ with them and keep an eye out for moments of stress, difficulty, disappointment and suffering for it's often in those moments that what people have been trusting in falls away and there's an opportunity for us to then share the gospel of hope with them. Now if you lack the confidence to share the gospel, there are tools that can help you in that moment to share more effectively. There are a couple I want to recommend to you. Two are basics of the gospel. One's Christianity Explored, and the other is Two Ways to Live. There are resources online, Christianity Explored, Two Ways to Live. You can get apps on your phone. You can get resources online. And they, they give the basics of the gospel, and they teach you in that moment what are ways in which you can begin to articulate the good news of what Christ has done. It gives you the tools so that when the moment comes, you can have the confidence to share your faith. And the last is a booklet, I ju- the one I just quoted from, entitled How to Reach the West Again by Tim Keller. It's for free online. You can get a PDF, short, you can read it in an hour. What I love about this resource is that it's not just the gospel being explained, it thinks and talks carefully about the culture in which that gospel needs to be proclaimed. And it teaches us how, what might this look like in our families, with our friends, and in our workplaces. It's an excellent resource that helps bring context to how we can share the gospel in this cultural moment. I highly recommend them. Christianity Explored, Two Ways to Live, and How to Reach the West Again by Tim Keller. Now, as important as going is, and it is very important, Christ's mission encompasses more than making disciples. Christ's mission is both making and maturing disciples... Which brings us to our second point of grow. First point, go. Second point, grow. Look with me again at verses 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that's the go. Now grow. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So first... Baptizing. Baptism is a moment of initiation. In this instance, it's the baptism of someone who is professing faith, who is being added to the people of God, the visible church, the church, and it's the moment when the person who has heard the gospel message responds in faith, and so they are therefore set apart publicly as members of Christ's body, the visible church, and they are baptized with water and the triune name of the Father, Son. ...and Holy Spirit. You see, when we make a profession of faith, we don't do so in isolation. We are added to a people. And so when we baptize people, there's a reason why we don't baptize people at home. Let's get together as a small group and baptize Bob in the living room. We don't do that. There are people who do. And it's not wrong, you're still baptized, Father, Son, Holy Spirit with water. The reason we do it in front of the church is because we believe it's the initiation rite... ...when people join the visible church... And this is the visible church at Grace. And so we baptize in front of this church because these folks are being added to us, the body. And when they're making a profession of faith, they also take membership vows, which solidifies that they are one of us. They receive baptism and they take these membership vows, professing faith and being initiated into the visible church, Christ's body. And it's in this context of the visible church... ...that we grow as disciples. It's, it's where we are taught to observe all that Christ has commanded. Now, it would be a bit overwhelming if I tried to... ...let's unpack for a minute all that Christ has commanded. We have the entirety of the Bible. So how can we quickly summarize what Jesus has taught us? Thankfully, Jesus himself gives this summary in Matthew 22... ...when one of the religious leaders asks him this question... ...teacher, which is the great commandment in the law... And here's how Jesus summarized his own teaching, the teaching we are to observe. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what does it mean to observe all that Christ has commanded? It means that we are to love God and to love others. You see, when we became disciples of Christ... We're not just simply given a new mission to go and make disciples. We're actually given a new purpose. We are now called to, we exist to love God and to love others. Before Christ saved us, we lived for ourselves. We lived to worship the world, to worship the idols of this world, and to find satisfaction in this world. We lived for our own glory, our own happiness, our own comfort. Our lives were all about us. Now as Jesus' Jesus disciples, our mission has changed. Why do I exist? I exist to go and make disciples. What's the purpose of my life? To love God and to love others. When we are saved, our lives are transformed. New mission, new loves. So here are a few ways that we can seek to grow in our love for God and others. One of the most important ways we can cultivate our love for God is to do what we are doing right now. God's appointed means of cultivating love of him, one of the key means, if not the means, is what we're doing to gather as God's people. To to sing praises to him, to pray prayers to him, to hear his word preached, to celebrate the sacraments together. To love God and love one another in the context of a worship service. We can also cultivate a love for God as individuals. When we're praying and reading our Bibles, uh, we can do so as families. We can do so in our small groups. Anytime we are gathered together as God's people and as individuals in the presence of God, reading his words, speaking to him, we can cultivate our love for him. Here are a couple of ways we can grow in our love for one another. We can participate in the life of the church. The church has numerous contexts to help facilitate love for one another. Grace groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, youth, children's ministries. All of these include our contexts that allow us to love one another. We can also love one another through serving in the church, teaching children in children's ministry, ushering, praying for one another through circle ministry, providing meals through our meals ministry, serving as an officer or a member of a committee, using your gifts and your abilities to serve the local church. But beyond these formal means, we can serve one another in any number of ways, simply by keeping our eyes open to love one another and serve one another. For instance, eight to ten folks showed up yesterday to help the Huffman's move from Chicago to Highland Park. It was a wonderful, practical way to love this couple by gathering together as the church body to serve them in a very practical way. This love for one another extends beyond our grace community as well. Our missions committee is working hard to connect members to to opportunities outside the church to serve God in our community and world. We have all of our mission partners listed on our website if you're interested in ways in which you can serve our community and world. They're there. We put prayer requests at the bottom of every Grace Connect, rotating all of the different partners we have and how to pray for them. We're trying to highlight more and more our mission partners on Sundays to connect folks to these partnerships so that we can serve God in our community and world. We had Safe Families just a couple weeks ago. We have a Q&A after the service today. You can find out how to serve God in our community and world through this ministry. On June 5th, we're going to have World Relief come and share on a Sunday morning. How can we serve refugees in our community as well? These are just a few of the ways where we can cultivate our love for God, love for others, and our love for the world. Now, I want to end with our final point, which highlights God's help in carrying out this mission. So, very briefly, point number three authority and presence. Authority and presence. I'm going to conclude by drawing your attention to the verses that bracket Christ's commission. These verses are essential because they point to what is going to enable us and empower us to embrace and and flourish in our pursuit of Christ's mission. Verse 18 highlights in whose authority we carry out this mission. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Christ, our risen Lord, has all authority and in heaven and on earth, and it is in his authority and as his ambassadors that we go to make disciples. The power to persuade and to save is not ours. We are simply instruments through which the gospel goes forward. It is God who saves, and it is God's mission of salvation that will build his church. In addition to his authority, we also have Christ's presence by his spirit. Verse 20 highlights in whose presence we go and grow. Second half of verse says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we go, we go in the authority of God. And when we go and when we grow, we do so in the presence of God. In a few weeks, we're going to be covering Acts 2. It's the moment when Christ has ascended and he pours out his spirit upon his people. And that spirit is intended to empower us. ...to go forth and share the good news of Christ. It's also intended to empower us as we seek to grow in our love for God... ...and grow in our love for others in the world. It's by God's authority and in his presence that we live out the life of disciples... ...growing in love for God, growing in love for one another... ...and going in the love of God to the world. Who are we? Why do we exist? Why are we here? What is the purpose of our lives... As disciples, we exist to love God, to love one another, and to live for Jesus' mission to make and mature disciples of him. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your people. And that you would inflame our hearts with a love for you, a love for one another, and a love for this world. I pray that you by your spirit would empower us and give us the confidence that we can now go forth as your ambassadors into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, give us wisdom and humility and love as we seek to do so. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.